Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Brian's Toys. At Brian'sToys.com, you can find Star Wars toys and collectibles from 1977 to the present. Brian's Toys has it all, from vintage toys and action figures right up to the latest releases. And when checking out, be sure to say you were referred to Brian's Toys by Star Wars Action News. So go check out the world's largest selection of Star Wars toys at Brian'sToys.com. Listening to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Welcome to another episode of Star Wars Action News. This is Marjorie. This is Mark. Wait, this is wrong. Where's Arnie? <laughs> Arnie's here too. We have a special guest this week. We have Darth Cheddar, Mark here. He came down for a visit. And Mark is no stranger to podcasting with his Star Wars miniverse. Well, thank you very much for uh, asking me to be on the show. Yes, we do have a podcast for the Star Wars minis. The game's not dead yet, you may remember. It is, it <laughs> no, is No, no. It's still kicking. We still have games, and Gen Con is still playing, too, so it's still around. So the breathing tube is in, the feeding tube. It's, we just haven't pulled the plug. Yeah, they've called the chaplain. Yeah. <laughs> There's some counseling going on for the fans. Well, Mark, thank you for joining us, and you're here basically to help us not kill each other, I think? <laughs> I've done a good job so far, I think. I hope. <laughs> we are continuing to pack the Sissonian. Mark came down. We actually had a defined task this week. Previous weeks, last week when we were sounding probably a little haggard on the show, Marjorie and I, and the week before when there wasn't a show, we were kind of in what I called triage mode of make it showable. Now we actually had a bit of a strategy focusing on the high-end items. Mm -hmm. Had to pack up a lot of Gentle Giant. Mark, you are a genius at figuring out these Rubik's Cube-like boxes. Oh, thank you, thank you. It was a little stressful, but thank you. <laughs> I know, he was kind of like diffusing a bomb. He'd open up the styrofoam and go, oh boy, what am I going to do? And a few times I thought there was an accident because of the exasperation in his voice, but really it was just looking at the styrofoam and then looking at the item and saying, well, that doesn't go in there. Yeah, I had to explain to Arnie that I, I tended to talk to myself because every single time he turned very quickly to see if I had done something. But no, it was just <laughs> talking myself through it convincing myself that I could actually make it work. <laughs> and the premium format General Grievous was one of the things we packed up. Yes. And I, I kind of said, I remember putting him together, so I should take him. <laughs> and I knew where he'd come apart. I knew where the seams were. I mean, he comes apart in so many places. He comes apart at the waist, so the legs come apart. I mean, I think it was probably easier for the Separatists to actually build General Grievous than it was for me to put that statue together. And they had to put all of his organs in a sack. But at least they didn't have to worry about breaking the sack. It, yeah, but he's evil. When we were putting him together, he stabbed me in the eye. No, that was when you were moving him down here. He still stabbed me. Yes, he, he was trying to give you the laser eye surgery with the lightsaber. But I'm like, okay, I'll take him apart. So I did take him completely apart. And then I go to the box... And I'm like, there are 200 compartments and there are seven pieces. I do not know how this goes. And so I, I tried three different things and then I'm like, Mark. Yeah, that, that didn't add any stress at all as we, we sat, <laughs> <laughs> sat on the floor and, and, and gently tried to figure it out and we got it to work. There were three of us, and Marjorie was upstairs staying out of it. It was Ryan, who's been on the show. We talked about him last week, Mark and I. And I'm sitting here like, how many geeks does it take to put General Grievous in a box? The answer is three. It does. <laughs> but we made a huge, huge dent. Everything we found boxes for, we have gotten backed up mm -hmm. and a lot of high end. And this is making me feel better because all the fragile items are now packed up. There was one moment where Mark was getting something, and I'm like, whatever you do, don't back up. <laughs> Obi-Wan's lightsaber is two inches from your shoulder. At which point, Obi-Wan then was turned sideways so that I didn't have any more issues with that. <laughs> it was a little tight corner there, but what's the breakage count? Zero. 
The breakage count is Knocked zero. On, uh, glass for lack of wood. <laughs> there was one item that broke many months ago that was only discovered broken now. And it wasn't me. No, it wasn't Nor me. me. It <laughs> no. was not me. It turns out the airborne trooper that ended last week's show, we have found the culprit, and it was my sister who helped us clean up before celebration. But your sister also was responsible for the rule of three. Yeah, she did start the rule of three. So this could all be considered her fault. Yes. <laughs> And we do have a loss, though. We don't know what happened to a sand trooper arm, a gentle giant bust missing an arm. Yeah, hopefully we're going to stumble across that today in one of the other boxes. But the bust is there, and at least you have a second one that you can borrow the arm from if you have to. But I'm worried that the paint won't be quite the same. I understand. Aww. I understand. Because maybe they did different weathering. It's very possible. But fortunately, it is the non-exclusive sand trooper, so I'm not going to be all that worried about it. Can I offer some advice? Yes. It's probably too late for most collectors, but I would strongly suggest from now on when you get Gentle Giant or any high-end item, take a picture of it in the package. <laughs> after, That's a really good idea. After hours and hours of puzzling this together, I really wish I we had been able to reference some of that. And when it came to the Grievous, it was in fact oh, yeah. Ryan who said, why didn't you take unboxing photos? And I went online. I couldn't find any unboxing. I think General Grievous but coming out in 2005 was before the whole unboxing porn craze of <laughs> YouTube because I could find nothing. General Sideshow eventually put a how to build it online. Of course, they did that after I had already right. figured it all out, but they did have a how to build it, but never a how to unpack <laughs> it. But yeah, that's that's a very good idea that I may actually do when re-unboxing everything. It would help. And I'd like listeners to come to the forums and tell us what you do with all your spare parts. For example, with the Sand Trooper, I keep the arms in the box and things, and I keep the certificates of authenticity in the box, and that way, if I ever want it, yes, I do have to find that box. I don't have a file folder or anything, but it's as protected as it can be versus trying to put all the spare parts in something and try to remember what it went to or anything like that. I kind of like my method, but if somebody has an alternative suggestion, I'm always open to improvement. But why don't we go ahead and move on to our store report. And I actually found some figures this week. The Army of the Republic Battle Pack was at our Meyer store, which means I must have just missed it other places. Because if Meyer's getting something, it's always been everywhere else first. No, that is not correct. Sometimes Meyer has hard-to-find things because no one ever goes to the toy shop at Meyer. But that was it. Still looking for Wedge and no joy. Mark, you drove down here and hit some stores on the way. Yeah, I didn't have any luck at all. I was looking for Wedge specifically for you and, of course, for me. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, no luck at all. Somebody needs to buy some of those sand troopers and those cloud car pilots because those are just clogging the peg. Who would have thought the cloud car pilot wouldn't sell? <laughs> I don't get that. I don't. Everybody need to army build cloud car pilots? I mean, you at least need two per cloud car, right? Yeah. How many cloud cars do you need? Three. That was a setup. <laughs> Game, set, match. In online news, Sideshow released their Luke versus Vader Bespin Gantry diorama, and they finally released the pictures of that. That thing looks very sweet. So when is it coming in? When are we buying it? I actually didn't order it. I what? I like it. I like it a lot. I think the likeness is good. I think it's very action-oriented. It's one of the few dioramas that I think they have spot on because it's it's the whole thing. It's perfect. The problem is it's $325, okay. and they're coming out with something I want more this week. Well, there's birthdays and Christmas. I really like that. So you want it for your birthday and Christmas? No, no. I've already got my gifts planned that you're going to buy me. But I'm saying I, I think it's pretty cool. I like the fact that, like you said in the last episode, it's not the traditional pose that you would get. It's more of the action pose. He doesn't have the hand out reaching to him. I, I like it. I don't collect that particular line. I don't have space for that particular line, but I definitely like the pose. I do like it. I'm just, it's not sold out. I still could order it. And I would have ordered it if they hadn't already announced last week that this Thursday goes on sale, something I have been waiting for them to make for years, a Han Solo and Carbonite premium format figure. But you have a Han Solo and Carbonite. That's the 12-inch Han and Carbonite. You have a, you have another Han Solo and Carbonite. That's another 12-inch Han Solo <laughs> and Carbonite from Hasbro. I saw one out in the hallway. That's the life-sized Han Solo and Carbonite. Are we noticing a pattern here? <laughs> That's one sixth scale, so it's 12 inches. I now need the quarter scale, which will be 18 inches. In the new house, are you going to then line them up so they look like nesting dolls? No, 
it's going to look like the singular bars. That works. <laughs> now, honestly, I'm not sure how I feel about the premium format, Han, yet, because of the way they're displaying it. The way they did the 12 inches, you got this big piece of Jabba's wall, so it looks like it's floating, which is kind of cool. They stuck with the Jabba format for the premium format. I almost wish they'd kind of gone more Cloud City, but they went with Jabba so that way it's displayed vertically. And again, they have it looking like it's hovering because it looks like from the photo they've released, you've got a really big base that it hooks onto and then nothing behind the top of it. So it looks like it's floating. Maybe they'll have it on display at Comic-Con and you can drool over it there and be okay with it. I like that from the photo, it looks more silvery, whereas the 12 inch was far more of the dark, dark gray. The life-size one I have is more silver. The Hasbro one was more silver. I prefer it in the more silver than the kind of gunmetal gray they've got going on on the 12 inch. My big question, does it light up? Does it have lights on the side panels? That would be nice. I, I, I'm, Wish it did have a backdrop to it, though, like you said, kind of like the 12-inch does, because it does look a little awkward with just a base and then floating above the base. I'm torn on it. I understand with the premium formats, they're not dioramas. They all have a base. But this one, because the base goes behind the figure, it's a little bit different. And the fact that it floats, I don't mind the not having a backdrop on any of my other premium formats, Especially with the premium format Stormtrooper that I've already ordered. You know, you can get the Stormtrooper kind of buy it, although this is Jabba's Palace, so that doesn't work. Again, I'm back at Cloud City. I I kind of wish they'd gone Cloud City, but it's haunted carbonite. I got to have it. And so that's why I didn't order the other dioramas. I want to see what they charge for this. No, I completely understand. I just am not a big fan of the dioramas, but I think that diorama really hit it on the nose. It's great. Yeah, once they released the photos, you were sold on it. Because last week, you're like, I don't like the dioramas. I don't like the Obi-Wan Vader. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, why didn't you order well, this? Well, the Obi-Wan Vader, I really... That backdrop just kills it, I think. But this doesn't have a backdrop. No, but that means you could build a special place for it and have a really cool diorama. Well, this goes on sale this Thursday, and be sure to subscribe to the Star Wars Action News new release newsletter so we can send out information to you when this goes on sale, because, again, we always get our newsletters out before I get sideshows. I usually don't get sideshows newsletters saying things are on sale till the next morning anymore. So join our newsletter, and even if you don't, we'd appreciate it if you use the link from SWActionNews.com. Also this week, speaking of Sideshow, over at Brian's Toys, you can stock up on 12-inch Gamorreans. They have the regular 12-inch Gamorrean Guard in stock, and you can get Gartog, the Gamorrean Guard, on pre-order, both from Brian's Toys. And if you're looking to fill out that loose vintage collection, they just added over 300 new loose vintage figures there. I've got to go. I'm only missing five figures from the vintage collection to add, so I'm going to see if they have some for me that I need. The last five, the Death Star Gunner, Yak Face couple others, and you can find those all at Brian'sToys.com. And remember, when checking out at Brian's Toys, please be sure to mention that you heard about them from Star Wars Action News. And finally, with online news this week, you know, E3's been going on. We talked about the Kinect video last week. <laughs> Razer Gaming has announced that if you're looking forward to Star Wars The Old Republic for PC, you can really deck out your PC with a whole bunch of accessories, Star Wars-themed. They're going to have keyboards, mice, mouse pads, and you can choose Galactic Republic or Sith Empire for all these old Republic accessories. Are you into the games, the MMORPGs? Did you play Galaxies at all, Mark? Fortunately, no, I didn't get into that. Uh, from what I understand, far too time-consuming. And with two boys in the house, th they're just as time-consuming. Are you going to let them play the old Republic? Maybe that could make them less time-consuming for you? Well, that's a good thought. I may have to look at that. <laughs> or it could be a bonding experience for all three of us. Yes, absolutely. That's a selling point. I'll, to, I'll, I'll consider that one. Of course, you'll probably need three accounts at three monthly subscriptions. True. And then I'd have to upgrade three computers. Uh, yeah, it's doable. Okay. <laughs> if you did that, would you need Old Republic mice, mouse pads, keyboards? Not right away. I'm kind of happy. I've seen some pictures of these online. Given the Star Wars keyboards that we saw, we were at the store one time and saw that cheesy Clone Wars keyboard that makes it look like basically one of those kids' laptops, like the R2-D2 laptop. It was that quality of a keyboard. Yeah, but that's because you're not eight. That's why you didn't enjoy it. That is correct. These are more for people in their 20s, I would say. For me, I'm still looking at it like, mm, I, I don't know that I need that. Unless there's extra things that are like built-in macro buttons or something, and I oh, really get into the game. Up. Next up, we have Ginger Prince talking about. Well, we'll find out. 
Greetings all, this is Steve the Ginger Prince, and I have a two-part segment to bring you this week. Firstly, I'd like to update you on what I'm finding in stores here in the UK. And secondly, I'd like to share some more of my tales from the con season. So, let's get started. And I'm delighted to report that I found them. Repeat, I found them. And by them, I'm referring to the Attack of the Clones wave of the Vintage Collection. The last time we visited the Toys R Us in Manchester, the NCAT was burgeoning under the weight of Vintage Wave 4, or at least most of it. Now I know that the wave brings nothing outstanding, but any new figures are always a thrill, and Attack of the Clones is the Star Wars film that has had least love from Hasbro over the years. Remember, it's the only prequel that didn't get its own card back design. Of the nine figures in the wave, all but the Obi-Wan were present, but I only picked up four, Peasant Annie, Peasant Padme, and the pair of Bounty Hunters. When I first saw Hasbro reveal this wave, the only figure that I instantly thought was a must was the peasant disguised Padme, an in-film figure that hadn't been previously made, and I'm pleased to feedback that I'm over the moon with the result. The figure is well sculpted, textured, and has a sprinkling of soft goods, but the standout feature is her two different headdresses, the peasant headdress for travelling on board that mucky cargo ship to Naboo, and the more ceremonial bronze crescent headgear for when she arrives. The material that covers the dress is removable, so if you're a real stickler, you're going to need to buy two of these to display them differently. I wasn't going to buy the Annie originally, as it doesn't differ greatly from the 2002 Peasant Disguise figure. But having seen the great soft goods poncho that it comes with, and the detail in the face, it also went in the trolley. The Bounty Hunters of Episode 2 were well represented in plastic at the time of the film's release, with a pair of Zams and at least four Fets that I can remember. Since then, we've had no more Zams, but many more Jangos. So I decided to pick up the Lizard Lady, but leave Django behind. But again, after seeing the figures on the cards, I changed my mind. Both bounty hunters are super detailed and come jam-packed with lots of accessories, as all good bounty hunters should. From soft goods poncho to pistols, a rocket launching jetpack, serrated wrist gauntlets, and his helmet, the Fet is fantastic, but he's not a patch on his female accomplice. Zam has a pistol and a rifle. She can be posed with her helmet scanners up or down. Her face scarf up or folded, all with the changeable heads, human or lizard. In fact, the 2011 version of Zam Wassell may just be the best value play-action figure that Hasbro has ever produced. Now, I don't need an excuse to go to Toys R Us in person. As regularly as I can, I check the pegs. But it seems true are trying their best to tempt people into stores at the moment. The last couple of Saturdays, the Sun newspaper have been printing a voucher, which, if cut out, can be taken to True and swapped for a mini Lego vehicle. The first week we got this great little X-Wing, and then the second Saturday we got a mini ATST. If you don't want to go into the store, True has got some great deals online, especially for the younglings, like this little play hut at £9.99, half its original price, and great for playing out in the back garden now that summer's here. Who'd want to go online to toy shop though? I mean, what's more exciting than a toy run? Well, a con of course, and con season is in full swing here in the UK. And on Saturday the 27th of May, Suzanne and I headed down to Milton Keynes for our second con of the year. Collectomania 17 at the MK Stadium, home of yet another lower league football team. The first thing on our mind was autographs, and we had five background artists from the Star Wars films in our scopes. To start with, we met Mark Capri, who played Officer Mkay, who was Captain Nida's communication officer in The Empire Strikes Back. Now, considering that Empire is 31 years old, Mark doesn't look like he's aged a bit, and he was a delightfully cheery chap who looked genuinely pleased to meet us. On board the same Star Destroyer, and just a couple of chairs down the concourse, was Dr. Ralph Morse, a country and western loving drama teacher who also played an Imperial communications officer in The Empire Strikes Back, as well as a number of roles on both sides of the conflict. Ralph was a little bit more kooky than Mark, and regaled us not with stories of a galaxy far, far away, but with tales of skiing in the James Bond film The Spy Who Loved Me, and ripping the seat of his gold jumpsuit that he wore as a henchman in Moonraker. Next, we met a husband and wife team, Les and Shirley Conrad, both of whom had played multiple roles across a number of the films, Shirley having acted in both trilogies. Les is most known for being a Gamorrean guard and a stormtrooper, but he also doubled for Ian McDermid as the Emperor. Shirley's best known for being a Hoth rebel technician, but she was also a Naboo dignitary in The Phantom Menace, or The Lost Phantom, as she kept calling it. A lovely old couple, their memories of filming were hazy. Shirley couldn't even remember what she played in Return of the Jedi, and they seemed more preoccupied about how cold it was, having just arrived in the UK from their sunnier home in southern France. Their secret of how to appear in so many Star Wars films? Have a son who was part of the crew. 
Lastly, we met Stephen Calcutt, a colossus of a man who instantly bonded with me due to the fact that we shared a first name. Stephen was a body double for Dave Prowse and wore the Vader armour in the three original trilogy films. He continued playing Vader throughout the 80s and 90s in commercials in the UK, including a well-loved advert for a brand of cough sweets called Tunes, in which Motti seeks to cure the respiratory problems of the Sith Lord. He showed us some stills from the shooting of the ad, which were most interesting. Autographs done, we did a quick tour of the cosplayers. Our top three were a creepy Yoda, played by someone who was actually under four feet tall, a man with the TARDIS on his head, who was having great difficulty seeing where he was going, and just the best B.A. Baracus that I've ever seen. You ain't getting me to no con, fool. Having had a giggle at the costume folks, we moved on to shopping, and although the pegs were stocked with action figures on many stalls, they were all older, and I didn't pick any up. However, that's not to say that we left empty-handed, no, no. In fact, with one swift purchasing decision, I took a step into a larger world, that of gentle giant collectibles. For £30, I picked up the Admiral Akbar collectible minibust, and I'm absolutely thrilled with it. I've looked at these pieces from afar before, but actually holding one of these in my hands, wow, they're a great weight and have got amazing detail. His bulbous eyes and his waddle are going to look fantastic in my Akbar shrine. I didn't leave Suzanne out. I bought her a vintage Wicket porcelain figurine, made by the Sigma Company in 1983. It came in its original bubble wrap and box and was a fair price at 15 sheets, considering that the paint was a little worn in places. Lastly, I bought 40 New Hope vintage Dixie cups to add to the Empire ones that I picked up last year. I love these little waxy cups. They have great kitsch artwork of characters and scenes from the films, and they look great on display. The Collectomania event in Milton Keynes is one of the bigger conventions in the UK, but we like to support the smaller ventures as well. And only a week later, we were on the road again, this time travelling to Wrexham for Wales Comic Con. This was the fourth time that Mercury Promotions had put on this event since its inception back in 2008, when it started out as North Wales Film Exhibition. Well, I'm pleased to say it's still going and even grown a bit. I was quite happy about the fact we had to queue for 20 minutes to get in. Straight in, we took a tour around the various vendors, and although we considered a few purchases, we didn't buy anything. Suzanne ummed and ahed over a giant Ewok backpack, and I nearly bought an Asajj Ventress FX lightsaber after mistaking it for Count Dooku's, which I do want to pick up, but it seemed to be more comics than toys. The cosplayers consisted mainly of stormtroopers, marines from the film Aliens, and a couple of guys who were more Doctor What than Who. Of the five Star Wars guests in attendance, we needed to get two autographs, but started by seeing a friend who strangled me at Celebration 5, the one and only Tim Rose. I got an Akbar autograph at C5, but this time I wanted his John Hancock on a salacious crumb print. Tim was excited to tell me that C6 had been announced, and a bit deflated when I told him that I'd already booked my passage there. His wife then took over explaining how the contrast between the Orlando heat and the super-efficient American air conditioning had made her ill last August, and how she had a turn on the plane back to the UK. After Tim, we moved on to another puppeteer, Simon J. Williamson, the man behind band leader Max Rebo. Simon worked on the Dark Crystal and the Little Shop of Horrors, but he's more known for his work on the Red Ball organ in Jabba's band. So what question do you ask Max Rebo when you meet him? Well, there was only one on my mind. Do you play the piano? And to my disappointment, no, he doesn't. But he did tell us that the night before shooting that scene, he was given the music so that he could practice faking it. Lastly, we met up with Barry Holland, who got the famous line, You rebel scum, in the bunker on the forest moon of Endor. Barry's a lovely fella in his early 70s now, and he wanted to chat for ages, mostly about one of the small part Star Wars actor who'd upset him with some childish behaviour at a con a couple of years ago. But he was good fun, and he seemed genuinely happy to still be involved in the Star Wars franchise. All in all, Wales Comic Con was a fun time, and a nice warm-up to London Film and Comic Con, which happens later this year. Okay, I'm nearly spent, but before I go, there's the small matter of an Ewok frenzy from episode 296 to address. Thanks to everyone who entered the contest for the autographs of Ewoks Katie Purvis and Michael Hembury, the lucky winner drawn at random is Darth Darth Binks, so Sith they named him twice. Get in touch, Binks, and I'll get the autographs to you straight away. And on that winning note, I'll hand you back to Springfield's finest, Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you very much, Steve. We look forward to catching up with you at C6. 
Are you planning on going to C6 with the family again, Mark? Oh, yes, you betcha. We already have our hotel reservation. We haven't bought the tickets or airline or anything like that, but it falls at a, a tough time for us both being teachers. And so we don't want to make too many set plans just yet because we don't know exactly when school's going to be starting. We may be taking a personal day on the first day of school. <laughs> You know, I know that was a problem for so many people last year, and depending on what school district you work at and what type of thing, sometimes you just can't miss if you're a teacher, especially the first week I've heard. I've talked to some teachers who really wanted to go, but the time just made it impossible. Yeah, as a teacher, you don't want to be missing those first couple of days. That's the day you set down your guidelines and everything for your class, and it, in my opinion, it's bad form, too. You should be there the first day. Fingers are crossed. If if the calendar follows the what it has followed the last few years, we'll be able to hit C6, fly home, get a night's sleep, and go to school. <laughs> so you'll be there in body, if not in mind. Right, yeah. It, it, it'll, if it's anything like last year, yeah, it'll be pretty much I'm just there and going through the motions. But I've had practice starting the school year, so hopefully the first day will, will go as well as every first year or first day. And now... Owen Cheddar, your son, is our youth reporter who's done a number of segments on here. How did they handle Celebration 5? They handled it quite well. Our boys, surprisingly, are, are convention pros. <laughs> it's a bad sign when your son picks up his backpack to go to Chicago Wizard World and he goes, Oh, it's lighter than last time. <laughs> you know he's been to a few conventions. Or when they're walking around the convention center and they have no worries about walking up to somebody in a strange costume and saying, Hey, can I have a, a picture with you? They're, they're pros at this. And C5, you know, we were a little bit worried it was their first major convention. They've done Wizard World since they were three years old, both of them. And they really did quite well. Now, we spent a whole week there, so we decided to make a family trip out of it. We hit a couple Disney parks, and the smartest thing we did was we took Wednesday and said, we're not doing anything, we're going we're gonna to just stay at the condo, swim, and relax. And that probably was the smartest thing we did, because that got them ready then for the, the all-go Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Unfortunately, we had to fly out on Sunday, So, but they, they handle it quite well, and having done C4 with just my wife and I, and then C5 with the whole family, it is a different uh, take on the convention. We found ourselves looking for more kid-friendly things for them to do. We had to make a choice at C5. There was a line forming for Mark Hamill, and there was a line forming for the one-man trilogy. Well, the one-man trilogy, we knew they'd love, we knew they'd enjoy it, and it was starting sooner. <laughs> and, and we knew, okay, that's the line we're going to have to go to. As much as it killed me, I wanted to see Mark Hamill. Yeah, but the One Man Trilogy is amazing. Mm -hmm. It was really good. Right, and and we, quite honestly, we knew Mark Hamill was going to be a big draw. We just didn't expect the line to start that soon. <laughs> I remember that line. I think I think I saw you in that line. I think you and I yeah. jumped in and out of that line yeah. a couple times, thinking we could still get in. <laughs> but why not split? Why not you stay in the Mark Hamill line and your wife take the kids to see the One Man Show? We did a couple splits like that. <laughs> The boys are, you know, at an age where we did have to split up once in a while for their sanity and for ours. Uh, the biggest split was when Owen convinced me that we were going to go see George Lucas. And he did what every parent hopes for but also dreads. He turned my words around on me. Oh! I wasn't sure that I really wanted to get up at 4 o'clock to get in line for George Lucas. And I said, I don't know that we should do this. And he says, Dad... You've always told me we have to try. At least if we fail and can't get in, we can tell people we tried. And I'm like, blast you, boy. <laughs> Don't you then respond, do or do not. There is no yeah, try. Yeah. It all works out. I wasn't quick enough. I was just, I was taken back by the fact that he actually listens <laughs> and then would turn it on me. And, you know, we went and got in line. We got up at four o'clock and got in line and actually got in. And granted, I mean, George Lucas was a, a tiny speck from where we were. I think we were three rows from the top. But that's something now that he was able to go back to school. And on one of the first things the teachers traditionally do, you know, what did you do over the summer? And he wrote a huge essay about standing in line for George Lucas. Wow. And not that his teacher really understood what he was writing <laughs> about, but it, it made an impression on him. And See, now I know who to call when I want to wait in line for something at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning. Because your boys are very well behaved. Well, thank you. And I love hanging out with them because they're very mature, I think, for their age. And they're very intelligent. And they know Star Wars in and out. And they can sit and hold a conversation. Well, maybe I'm childlike. Maybe that's the problem. Perhaps a little <laughs> both. Yeah. But now that I know who to call in celebration, there's going to be a big line. Like when there's a big line for Ahmed Best for there his autograph, go. I'm calling your boys. There you go. They would do that. I know they would. <laughs> 
there would be a line just because he doesn't sign. I know. There are a bunch of best lovers. But his boys made fun of my Jar Jar I bought at Wizard World, so. Everyone made fun of your Jar Jar. People who didn't know you made fun of your Jar Jar. <laughs> but he has a great memory now. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, and, and the whole trip was great. I mean, and they were very well behaved. And our one of our big concerns was they were going to be worse than me seeing, oh, look at that. I need to buy that. I need to buy that. I need to buy that. And they were very reserved about that, too. I mean, they knew we went in. They had some of their own money. We said we'd buy them some things. And they just said, can we get that? And who's buying it? <laughs> <laughs> That's and, what I ask. Yeah. And we did things that we normally would not have probably done. I, we played laser tag. You know, I wouldn't have done that if it was just Jill and I down there. But they talked me into doing that, and then Jill went and scrapbooked with you. Yes. Um, she was really good. She came up to the bad kids. Was she sober? She was sober. She was sober. That's why she was really good, and yeah. you were the bad she kids. She was finished in like five minutes, and me and the boys were back there. Well, they were finished before I was. I'm just a really bad girl. That's the problem. But Dan is a much better girl than I am. He wears your shirt well, too. Yes, he does. He said he'd cross-dress for Celebration 6. Everybody remember that. He said he'd wear her universe, so not total drag. But I'm hoping it's the Boba Fetish set myself. Yes. I'm not. <laughs> I'm hoping so because the YouTube hits on that would really increase Star Wars oh, Action News' downloads. I'm not go. hoping for personal reasons. I'm hoping for professional reasons that Dan will trollop himself up. <laughs> So were your boys excited at Celebration 6 then? We made a mistake and told them about it. Luke, has our younger son, has a little bit of trouble with the concept of time yet. So when we told him about Celebration 6, he says, we're leaving tomorrow? <laughs> no, not not yet. Maybe yeah. it was wishful thinking. It was. I mean, that's good. He's excited about it. But all he really remembers, if you remember last year, he was on a Mario and Luigi yes. hunt at the Star Wars Celebration and found that. And so I think he's got that in the back of his mind, too. He, they have a very good memory for vendors. <laughs> they really do. When we go, Well, to, all these cons that they've been, you've been taking them to. They yeah. They, they, when we go to Wizard World, they head in about the same direction where this vendor was last year because they've got to find more of those Mario figures or they have to find more Pokemon cards. You know, they're on the hunt for anything. Thing. They're as bad at collectors as I am. <laughs> but yeah, they're very excited. And of course, they want to know, are we going for a week? Are we going to go to Disney? And again, timing this time, it's we might try SeaWorld if we have the time. It's a smaller park. They might enjoy it. <laughs> now, will they be missing any school for celebration, do you think? At this point, I'm hoping not. I mean, I really hope not. I don't want to have to pull them out on the first day of school. And, you know, it may mean that if we start sooner, we may have to fly out on Sunday night like we did last last year. And I'd hate to do that. That was that was so depressing. We had to go last year. We come back and we have to go to a meeting on Monday. I went into that meeting angry <laughs> and depressed <laughs> and, and just not happy to be there. Well, it's like leaving all your friends at summer camp mm -hmm. because it was sad because on Saturday people started filtering home. Right. And it's like you're giving hugs and saying bye and all this stuff and one by one you're saying goodbye unless at the end of the convention it was just me and arnie and we're like oh yeah we closed the place down again yeah well and i purposely did not check your facebook feed until tuesday because i didn't want to know what i was missing wait you missed the partners in collecting panel i know which was so much fun and i think there were some chagrined partners in the audience who were well like, there was at least one <laughs> waiting for that pin to drop about the most embarrassing story and I did not bring it up. No, you didn't. Nope. The underwear stayed silent. Yes, it did. <laughs> I may have phrased that a little incorrectly there. <laughs> so, Mark, with all the stuff you said your kids collect, are they at all into EU? Owen is a little bit, but that's because he plays the minis game, so he recognizes the names and the characters, and he's got quite a mind for the game. And so, he a little bit, he does read some of the junior novels when we can get him to read. Uh, that's a struggle at, at 10 years old, getting him to sit down and read for a bit. Luke, on the other hand, he still asks every once in a while, who's Darth Vader and who's Anakin? But I'll tell you this much, Celebration 5 renewed his interest in Star Wars. His was waning, and that was hurt, that was hurtful for me with you know his namesake. And so I'm hoping it'll rekindle that again next summer. Well, speaking of EU, here is Brock with a review of the latest EU novel, Conviction, part of the Fate of the Jedi series by Aaron Alston. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison, with a spoiler-free-as-possible review. 
of Star Wars Fate of the Jedi Conviction by Aaron Alston. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. If you have already read the first six books in this Fate of the Jedi series, you are likely going to read Star Wars Fate of the Jedi Conviction if I tell you it's as good as The Empire Strikes Back or if I tell you it's as good as the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> and I can easily confirm Star Wars Fate of the Jedi Conviction falls somewhere in between those two extremes. In Star Wars Fate of the Jedi Conviction, fan-favorite author Aaron Alston once again demonstrates why he is a great fit for Star Wars. His descriptions are vivid, characters are represented well, and are all peppered with his terrific humor. And we finally get some great and satisfying resolution to plot lines we have followed for quite some time. And we get a smart and complex military coup, a jailbreak, prison fights, and other rich elements. There isn't a lot of what I think of as typical Star Wars action in this book. Instead, the action is more tied to the plot. While the action scenes we do get are well done, like the aforementioned prison break and a speeder chase on Nam Chorios, the action doesn't revolve around a space battle, a large laser shootout, or a grand lightsaber battle that we typically associate with Star Wars. We do get short scenes of each of those, though, and the feature lightsaber duel in this book, while brief, is a pleasing blast to read, and another great Aaron Alston character showcase. If you have listened to my previous reviews of the Fate of the Jedi series, you know one of my biggest complaints with this series has been the multiple plot lines in each book are often so separate, it feels like two different books. Here in Fate of the Jedi Conviction, we do have two main plot lines. And while Luke's journey across the galaxy is loosely connected to what is happening on the political front on Coruscant, once again, the two plot lines are so divergent, most of the time it feels like you're reading two different novels at once. The Fate of the Jedi series, much like Legacy of the Force in the New Jedi Order series, has brought back already established characters and locations instead of just making up new ones. And I, for one, am all for making the galaxy far, far away a little smaller. Given the connection between Abeloth and Callista Ming, it does make plenty of sense to return to the planet of Nam Chorios, the planet from the last book in the loose Callista trilogy Planet of Twilight by Barbara Hambly. And once the description of the place started, I picked up on that was indeed the planet from Planet of Twilight, and I patted myself on the back for that one once I confirmed I was right. <laughs> Yet, where a return to Dathomir and Alston's Star Wars Fate of the Jedi allies was welcome, I cannot say the same for the return to Nam Chorios. My memory of Planet of Twilight, besides the ending, was that the book was bleak and not all that an enjoyable setting for a Star Wars story. That crept in from time to time here. Star Wars books like The Approaching Storm or Splinter of the Mind's Eye are all about the heroes having to deal with the strangeness of a planet because they are trapped on said planet for convenient plot reasons. Some people enjoy those kinds of stories. I do not. One of the conceits of this planet, Nam Chorios, is that Luke cannot use his force powers, for when he does, it generates random, deadly, and destructive force storms on the planet's surface, wiping out people and property alike. Think tornadoes, hurricanes, that sort of thing. If Luke had free use of the force, he would be able to locate Abeloth quickly and confront her again in a timely manner. But because the structure of the book needs this plot line to stretch the length of the novel, each time we went back to Luke on Namchurios, it felt like we were just treading water. Luke has to learn new techniques to use the Force in a non-destructive way and has to get by and hunt down Abeloth here without using the Force. The confrontation of Luke and Abeloth does utilize what he learned about the planet in key ways, and that did help to justify the numerous chapters spent on this planet somewhat. But these chapters were my least favorite of this novel. Furthermore, we don't get that confrontation I mentioned until page 326 of this 366-page novel. In book seven of a nine-book series, I know not to get too invested in the planet or the characters we meet there, because most likely we aren't going to be returning here again before the end of the series, or perhaps for another 14 years. And at this point in the series, what we really want is Luke's story to converge with the story back on Coruscant. 
and we want Luke to confront Abeloth again to get us closer to the final confrontation with Luke, Abeloth, and the Sith as we prepare to conclude the series. Those last 30 pages that I mentioned are incredibly satisfying for us longtime Fate of the Jedi readers, and that is all I want to say about that for now. Don't want to give too much away. While I do understand why this book is structured the way it is, it doesn't make it less frustrating to read through the Nam Chorios chapters of the book. The meat of the book, and where the fun of the story is, is on Coruscant, where the Jedi and the Moths are both plotting separate coups of Chief of State Dala. Alston has a great time setting up all the players and putting the key pieces in place, and here is where the book shines. Gratefully, none of the conspirators have a severe case of the stupids, and to read about their plans and all of the nuances they think of to execute their plans is a lot of fun. Alston adds life to scenes which contain a lot of exposition. Mr. Alston takes the time to describe the plans carefully and in a way so when it does go down, not only can we follow the action easily, but we are acutely aware of when something goes right and when something goes wrong. The mystery of what the Jedi are doing lasts a perfect amount of time and all comes together in a gratifying and entertaining way. Aaron Alston juggles the large number of characters deftly, newer and classic characters alike, infusing many of them with strong convictions, appropriate motivations, and relatable feelings. Standout character moments and conviction for Alston's Jedi Knight Sehe Dorvid and erstwhile fan favorite Han Solo as well as Chief of State Dala and Tahiri. But Leia, Alana, even C-3PO all get their moments. Two plot lines in other books in this series that get a shorter shrift here in Conviction are the Slavery Uprising and Tahiri's Trial. Though I am glad to say the time we do spend on those plots are solid content full of resolution and some of the most satisfying character moments in the book. Also, the new Sith and the Starry Kai's slow realization about the Sith's ways aren't all that central in this novel either. No doubt those plot lines will be picked up in Fate of the Jedi Ascension, leading up to the finale in Fate of the Jedi Apocalypse. What we do get of Vestara confronting the differences of the Jedi and the Sith do get the job done for where I think that plot line is going. Fate of the Jedi Conviction is a satisfying and frustrating read at the same time. While I wasn't always happy with this book's planet of adventure for Luke and Ben, I did enjoy the politics and power struggles back on Coruscant. We finally get sought-after resolutions to long-standing plot lines. Of course, with any resolutions in Star Wars, new conflicts are created, and in this case, setting us up for the grand finale for Fate of the Jedi to come very soon. While Mr. Alston's work on Fate of the Jedi has come to an end, I look forward to reading more of Mr. Alston's work in Star Wars, ideally in a series that is all his own. And now, at the other end of Star Wars Fate of the Jedi Conviction, I can honestly say Mr. Alston has me looking forward to seeing what the next book in this series has to offer. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. And now, as a final topic this week, Mark's joining us. I wanted to kind of get his opinion on something that you and I talked about last week and has kind of gotten into a bit of a heated debate in the forums. And I want to kind of explore this a little bit. Last week, we talked about the San Diego Comic-Con exclusive Hallmark ornaments, which are Dengar and IG-88. Mark, do you guys do the Hallmark ornaments? We do. We don't worry so much about all the exclusives. I am allowed a Star Wars Christmas tree in the basement in the Star Wars collecting room. And Owen now has his own Christmas tree, which he puts his ornaments on as well. But I don't I don't go all out for all the exclusives. If, if I can find them, if I can get them, I'll buy them. But I don't get bloody for them. 
there's been a lot of debate back and forth about whether there should be Hallmark exclusives or, you know, exclusives in general. And the way Hasbro does exclusives these days where it's not really an exclusive because you can get it at a Hasbro toy shop. Usually all the celebration stuff was available online. I think we were at celebration placing orders for stuff to be shipped home rather than having to pick it up right there and deal with that. And also Gentle Giant. The way they did, say, the 12-inch Boba Fett, I was in the Premiere Guild, so I had the 12-inch Boba Fett shipped to me at home while other people were lining up really early and sneaking into the convention floor early at Celebration Mm -hmm. 5 just to get that Boba Fett. The line would start at 4 a.m. and the floor wouldn't be open until 8 a.m. or 10 a.m. So I came out on the forums and I had to say I was glad that there were these exclusives because you got to think Dengar and IG-88, you're kind of at the D-list. You know, you're the Kathy Griffin of Star Wars ornament here. I love Dengar with his head wounds. Of course we do because we're Star Wars fans and especially original trilogy fans. You're going to love the bounty hunters. Remember having the figures growing up. But I'm sorry, maybe I'm being stereotypical, but when I think of the people who shop at Hallmark stores, I'm thinking of my grandmother, usually with some osteoporosis, a bad perm, and looking for things that usually are knick-knacky and kind of crappy. So I don't see them getting the Hallmark ornaments. Every time I go in there and I see, like, the USS Enterprise and things, I'm like, wow, I don't expect that at a Hallmark store. I expect something that smells like potpourri. So with the Star Wars ornaments, I got to realize you got to try to hit the baseline, right? I mean, when we hear from Hasbro time and time again, the Cloud Car Pilot and Yarna don't sell, but Luke does, when you're at a Hallmark store, I think you've got to go for that more regular list. Last year, the store exclusive was Lando. <laughs> yeah, they had a lot of Lando at the one by my, where I work. They did for months. We went and were sitting out there before Comic-Con, waiting for them to open so we could get a Lando. Lando didn't sell because despite being the cool Billy D. Williams and in two out of six movies, he was not A-list enough to be a sellout. Whereas an X-Wing, a Death Star, a Vader, those are going to be more popular. Dengar and IG-88, I could see being the Hallmark equivalent of a peg warmer and not hitting the broad appeal needed to be in the stores. Comic-Con is a perfect place to release Dengar and IG-88 because you've got your niche right there and they're going to be able to take it. And at $35 per set, they're going to sell out every day. They always do. And last year, the protocol droids were kind of lame. The year before that, repainted troopers. All right, a little bit lame in that they're repaints, but Okay, but I troops. still had to fight to get them. I had to run last year, which may be the result of me running now and getting in better shape for this, but I had to literally run. We'll see if it helps that if we actually get Dengar and IG-88. Oh, I'll get them. But I would rather have them be exclusives than not have them at all. And I understand the need for exclusive figures being a little bit more niche. Well, I agree. If it's an exclusive, it needs to be exclusive. It's got to be something that appeals to the collector, not to the broad audience all the time, but something that individual collectors that we're looking for. Now, hopefully they don't turn around, and if they don't sell them, they discount them and sell them online, because that takes the ex- takes the exclusivity away from them then. I agree. I kind of missed the days of the George Sekul figure, where they only sold him at Celebration 2. They didn't put him online, at least not in the U.S., through their normal channels. And what I understood is the excess they had were destroyed. If there were any excess, I'm pretty sure they just sold out. But I'd heard if there were excess, they would be destroyed, not sold online. And that truly is an exclusive to me. But there is such an outcry over the George Sekuls that they did change how exclusives were handled for celebration. I mean, people were crying foul about this, but it was an exclusive to the convention. And I like going and knowing I got something that I can only get because I went. It's part of a memory. It's a souvenir. I have zero souvenirs from San Diego, and I never will. However, I have a lot of cool exclusives I only can get at San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. And it does add to that feeling of exclusivity. And again, I think I mentioned this on the forums, if not on the show last week, look at the Macquarie droids. I I did say this on the show last week. The Macquarie droids, free with an order at StarWarsShop.com, whereas George Zagul actually kept some value. And it was an added bonus for people who went. And it's not like you can't get this if you don't go, but you're going to pay a premium. You're going to pay a real high price because the people who go, there are a lot of people in the line there that are going to scalp the figures. They are not collectors. They are there to try to pay for their trip or 
make a profit or what have you. And whether you go to eBay with it or there are booths that have big signs out, we'll buy your convention exclusive. You can turn a profit right there at the con, pay cash for an item, go to a booth. They'll give you more than you paid for the item and you make a profit. Then they mark it up even more and sell it right there. So whether you pay for it on eBay, whether you pay for it at the con, you have to work at it to get it. You've got to prioritize it and everything. But I'm still pro exclusive. Although these are limited to a thousand pieces, that seems a little low for me. It does, and they're probably only going to do 250 a day, and then maybe maybe a little bit less, maybe 200 a day, and do some on preview night, which means I got to start training now. Mm hmm. Because I'm going to get them. I have to get them. That's what I collect. And if we have to go to eBay for them, if we don't get them, then we have to go to eBay for them. That's just the way it is. I don't get them. I feel better about paying a higher price, though, for a convention exclusive than I do for, say, Wedge. For people who are just going to their store and buying this non-exclusive but kind of chase item, that irks me. But if it's an exclusive, and not even a store exclusive, because that's not really that exclusive. It means you can only get it at one of the thousands of Toys R Us in the country or one of the tens of thousands of Walmarts. But if it's a San Diego Comic-Con exclusive, I understand that I need to pay a little bit of a premium. And I said this on the forums is that it's a convenience fee. If I don't want to go and get bloodied and book it to the con, even if I'm going to the con, if I just want an easy time, I know I can go to eBay and hit the one-click bid button and have it shipped to my door, and I don't have to worry about it. And somebody said that there's a difference between a scalper and a personal shopper, where a personal shopper would go and do this for you for a fee. I don't see it that way. I see it as the eBay people are my personal shoppers if I need them to be. So where do you come down on the whole, like, scalper issue? I mean, obviously scalping is bad, but, like, when it comes to the con exclusives and things. I was real disappointed with the droids from C4 because when I was able to tell people that I got these at Celebration 4, the only place you can get them, knowing, of course, that eBay was going to have a, a bunch of them, but now that they are free with every order, I don't know that they deserve the place on the shelf they're at right now. <laughs> I, you know... It's one thing to go and, and, and like we do on the forums, ask someone to help you out, pick up an exclusive for you, you know, maybe, you know, they'll help pay shipping and that type of thing as compared to these, these skyrocketing prices on eBay. I, I haven't gone on eBay in so long just because they're, they're expecting it. You, you attach the name Star Wars or exclusive to it. That automatically means they can charge $25 more or more. And I, I don't like that at all. But a lot of times, if you look at completed listings, those things don't sell at that price. True. These are what the asking price are, but the, you can only tell what the going price is if you look at what actually sold. And some items you look, and they'll want crazy numbers. I was looking at a freeze frame Weequay this week, which is a very rare figure, and I saw several auctions that were asking $300 for this figure, and not one sold. So it's not worth $300. Not one person is paying $300 for this figure. And then I found another listing where somebody put it at $60. It didn't sell either. Mm -hmm. So what these people are asking isn't what the thing is worth. And they'll either sit on it. It's not worth it to them to sell because nobody's going to pay that crazy price. Or they're going to come down in price to what is a fair market value for the items and hit the true value. So when you do a completed listing search, if you see a, a number in red, discount it. It's not what the val item's worth. Now, one person in the forums brought up the Lego exclusives at Comic-Con, and these are some we don't really talk about that much on the show because I'm not that big into Legos, but the way they do their exclusives, you rush to Lego at the beginning of the day, and what they have as exclusive are minifig sets, and I believe it's usually three minifigs and a nice case that you can only get at Comic-Con, and I believe it's $80 for three figures, which I, I consider to be outside the price range. Even if it was non-exclusive, if I could walk up and just get one, I don't think I'd pay $80 for those exclusives. I know some people do. Ginger Prince was very big into the exclusives mm -hmm. for the Legos at Celebration. But you have to get there first thing, and you get a raffle ticket. And then you have to come back at a certain time, and they draw the tickets. And if you're lucky enough to be drawn, then you can give them $80 for it. <laughs> it's kind of like the old Gentle Giant raffle system. I hate that. I do not like that. Somebody was saying that's more fair than the Hallmark because Hallmark, you have to sit in line the whole time and wait. Whereas Lego, you just go, you get your ticket, come back at a certain time. And if you're lucky, you get it. I kind of prefer the hard work pays off, be it online hitting refresh for a black hole stormtrooper or be it you training to run 5K so that you can get some ornaments. I kind of prefer survival of the fittest rather than there's absolutely nothing I can do about it and it's in the hands of fate. Yeah, and Hallmark gives tickets so they know how many a lot for the day. So you're not waiting in line and 
be at the end and then all of a sudden they say sold out. They know exactly how many they have for the day and they hand out tickets to the line. Then they get, they say, I'm sorry, we don't have any. And then you're just waiting to get it. You know you're going to get it. And I mean, you do have to kind of hang around the booth where they go, there's no line forming. Okay, there's no line. I'm just looking at your, oh, line's forming. Okay, I'm in it. You know, there's that little game you play where security guards are walking around. I'm looking at the other ornaments, sir. Oh, wait, I'm in line. And Hasbro (laughs) does it very well with the Hasbro Toy Shop booth at Comic-Con where you do a fast pass system now. And you go between like one and three and get in line and they check the tickets. Yeah. So that if you're four to five, you can't get in that line yet. And that way they keep it nice and controlled and you can't even get in line unless you have a fast pass. Not on preview night, though. Preview night's first come, first serve, which is what we did last year, and I'm glad we did. I think I'm going to send you to Hallmark, and I'm going to hit Hasbro again. Preview night, really the only rules are prison rules. So I just kind of wanted to have that discussion. I want listeners to let us know what they think about exclusives and the best way to go. It kind of became a very two-person back and forth on the forums. I want to open this up to more people. Come to the discussion for this episode, episode 299. Let us know what your thoughts are on exclusives. Do you think they should be less exclusive exclusives? And I'm really talking about store exclusives versus, say, when FX Collectibles has their exclusive edition Vader helmet, which is one helmet, and then the inclusive, which is another, or Sideshow, which has the exclusive pieces on their exclusive editions it's the same item yeah if you get the more limited edition you're going to make 50 more dollars on ebay or something because people will want that piece but i'm really talking about more the convention exclusives and how they're handled i gotta say i you're right when you said what space the droids deserve on your shelf mark that's exactly how i feel now is that something that's a little bit harder to get even if the harder to get means i hurt a little more in the wallet when i paid for it on ebay or Marjorie got bloody for it in line. You kind of have that badge of honor for something that is truly limited and you had to be there or have somebody there. Mm -hmm. And by and large, I don't buy exclusives on eBay. Usually we're at the cons and we get them or we get really lucky. I think the Gentle Giant World Tour. Oh, no, you better not do that again. You see, that was the one with the raffle system online that we never won and the huge eBay prices. There was the one set of exclusives that I did have to go to eBay a couple times and some great listeners helped us out too. But that was the one set that truly stressed me out the way some people are stressing about these Hallmark ornaments. But in the end, it was like, if I have to, I'll wait for the price to come down. I mean, when it comes to the San Diego Comic-Con exclusives, you might want to bid on preview night before they start to, when there's the glut and the price is going to be set and there's, you know, 200 people out there. Or you may want to wait till next January when people have forgotten about it. After Christmas is over, things have kind of died down. But if you're trying to order these in October, November, that's when there's only going to be so many out there and they're going to be higher priced. And my final thought on it is, dare I say it, people who don't go to Comic-Con and want these ornaments should actually be thanking God for scalpers. Because if every person who bought it bought it for themselves, then people would have no chance ever to get one. Except for like a fan who gets in financial trouble and has to sell something, right? I mean, would I not be wrong in saying that the price would be higher if people weren't trying to turn a profit because the people who sell them would be far fewer? Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with that. I don't like it, but I'd have to agree with it. Yeah, (laughs) I hate scalpers. I hate them because they take stuff away and they do create an artificial inflation in values of things like the wedge. Mm -hmm. Whereas if there weren't people trying to turn a profit on the wedge, wedge would be more plentiful and fans could help each other out through our forums and everybody would have the wedge they need. But by the same token, yeah. If I want a wedge and it's willing to me to pay $50 for one, a scalper is the person who's going to do that for me. And I can be guaranteed. People on the forums can't guarantee me they're going to find a wedge. Whereas eBay, I don't know who this guy is, probably has, you know, but he can get me a wedge. So it is a bit of a convenience fee and you do pay in life for convenience. It's like we're moving houses. We're going to pay movers to move us. That's a convenience fee. It is a convenience fee and it's called saving the marriage. (laughs) Well, yes, that too. So let us know your thoughts and don't misconstrue my words. I am not pro scalper, but I'm just pointing out what I think is obvious that if you don't go to the con, that's the only way you're going to get them is having a friend who goes or paying somebody a premium. Or wait till Star Wars shop puts them free with every order. Well, that won't be the Hallmark ornaments. <laughs> so that is our show for this week. Thank you, Mark, A, for coming down and helping us pack and 
being so good at some of these boxes and so patient. And He's well-trained for buying his own Gentle Giant now. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for giving me the opportunity to be on the show as well. I appreciate it, and I wish you best of luck in the move. And remember, if you want to hear more of Mark, he has the Star Wars Miniverse. What's the URL for that again? SWMiniverse.com. And we'll be back next week with our 300th episode, and hopefully the basement will fully be packed. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. You can find even more Star Wars coverage at our sister podcast, Republic Forces Radio Network, where we review each episode of the Clone Wars cartoon series. You can find that show at republicforces.com. If you're into Star Wars novels, check out the Star Wars Action News Book Club, where we read and review all the Star Wars novels. That podcast is at swactionnews.com. We want your feedback and suggestions for Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com, the most friendly forums on the web. You can be on Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted become the property of Star Wars Action News and are subject to use on our show. You can help support Star Wars Action News by using the affiliate links on our homepage when shopping online. We would also appreciate it if you spread the word about Star Wars Action News by posting about us on Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, or just tell a friend about the show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on iTunes, and you can also cast a vote for us each month at Podcast Alley. Links to both can be found on our homepage at SWActionNews.com. For more Star Wars collecting, please visit YakFace.com, HansHideout.Blogspot.com, and JediTempleArchives.com, and we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. The Star Wars Action News team is website designed by Jason, associate produced and announcements by Brock, reporters Jerry, Dan, Steve, and Justin, graphic design by Chris, and podcast enhancement by Barrett. Star Wars Action News is copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all the Star Wars universe contains is trademarked and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, all rights reserved. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the Force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. Star Wars Action News is a production of Venganza Media Incorporated. Nope. The underwear stayed silent. Yes, it did. I may have phrased that a little incorrectly there. <laughs>